Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler. Uh, my co-host, Ben Bateman, is not on today, but instead we have Corbin Hausler tagging in, tapping in, other sports words. Say hi to Corbin, everybody. Say hi to everybody, Corbin. <laughs> yeah, hey guys, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, getting ready, just just watched uh, the NBA Finals. Very sad by that, but uh, at least I get to go to Vegas this weekend, so, you know, I can um, drown my sorrows at the craps table. You know, just bet on other sports, right? There's other sports <laughs> happening. Hockey's happening. No, that ended, man. Penguins oh, won. Wow. Ten tennis? 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 Tennis, maybe. French no, Open? There's always baseball. I think the French Open's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that that ended too, right? Oh no. I don't I don't know. I Tebow everything. Slash don't watch again. sports. <laughs> Collectively. All right. So uh <laughs> today we're talking about a bunch of stuff there was a crazy thing that happened this morning uh mark rosewater wrote an article uh it was an update to his last one uh and basically everything is changing the whole world is in upheaval and um, we'll break that down a little bit uh we also are doing a little bit of preview of gp vegas coming up um which both of us will be at as well as others and i'll get into the shout outs in a second um and then last but not least um we are going to talk about a sweet Mardu Eldrazi list that Corbin was talking about, and he's going to break it down for us. Yeah, looking forward to, to all of that, as a matter of fact. So, before we get on all of that, to get everything out, let's do some call-outs so that we don't interrupt the middle of the episode with call-outs. We just do it at the end of the beginning. Um, Corbin, why don't you tell everyone where to find you, since you're new and everything else will be repetitive. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so I do – I'm a lot of places. I do a lot of coverage – uh, event coverage for Wizards of the Coast. Um, I, I do a lot of the writing. I'm the guy who types up all the deck lists, uh, coordinates the show behind the scenes, all that sort of stuff. Um, Content-wise, I produce uh, Brainstorm Brewery, which is a uh, finance-slash-hangout podcast every week. Uh, I write weekly for TCG Player, where I also do um, a lot of the editing for the website. Um, so I have a series called Mining Modern on YouTube that comes out every Monday. Uh, where I take modern decks and experiment. And I'm not really, you know, I'm like a good player, but I'm not a great player. So my my pitch is never, hey, I'm going to show you how to be the best Grixis Death Shadow player in the world, right? But I'll experiment with something like Mardu Eldrazi or, or Tesserator or Mono Red Tokens or, you know, some, something like that. So that's kind of, uh, that, that's, that's what I do. And it's been a lot of fun. And I've been doing it now for, gosh, almost, I guess we're coming up on like a year and a half. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun, and the response has been really positive. Um, so those those are generally where I'm at. I write every month for uh, for Daily MTG. I just had an article that came out. We're recording on Monday. It came out on Monday, um, and you know, obviously, a lot of us going on the website, so maybe got lost in the shuffle. Um, but I, I focus on the community, and I wrote a, a piece about. Um, you know, just highlighting some of the stories of the community of players who have been around for 25 years because we're approaching the 25th anniversary next year. And I, I highlighted some of those really cool stories, including someone who, um, you know, when they were in elementary school, met Richard Garfield. And, um, you know, 20, 24 years later has the, the oversized Black Lotus that he got at that event and signed by Richard Garfield and still has all of that. So um, those are the, the cool kind of stories I like to highlight from from the community for my my work on on daily mtg very cool uh where can people find you on twitter social media any of that stuff 
Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to add me on Facebook at Corbin Hostler, but most of uh, my interaction comes on Twitter. It's chosler88, uh, C-H-O-S-L-E-R-8-8. And, and uh, Mining Modern, you can find it at tcgplayer.com? Yes, or right. just you know, Google, uh, YouTube Mining Modern, and it'll, it'll pull up for you. Perfect. And then uh, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, at uh, the MMCast, uh, I am at Cast Wiley. You can follow Ben Bateman, who is not here at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter, and pretty much everything. Instagram, there's like Periscope, which I think is an app that exists. <laughs> um, that still exists? Yeah, uh, maybe not. Maybe I've it doesn't. I don't never know. Never Periscope in my life. <laughs> um, I'm now doing his shoutouts for him. So uh, he also does a thing on an app called Anchor, which is he does 10 minutes of magic. So if you go to anchor.com or on our Facebook, we'll post the videos every day. Uh, he does a 10 minutes of magic content every day. You can check that out. Um, also, we're all going to GP Vegas. Uh, Corbin is working GP Vegas, so you may, will at least be able to wave at him across the rope during the the thing but also uh the command zone our sister podcast also on collected company dot co- or not collected dot company um is doing a whole big meetup on thursday night it's thursday june 15th at 8 p.m ends at 2 a.m at the plaza hotel uh there's gonna be a bunch of commander giveaway prizes foods games we'll be jamming some modern uh, i might have a copy of the new game we're coming out this uh summer called uh, super party battle uh and a bunch of other fun stuff uh we'll be looking to see you guys there so if you're at gp vegas make sure to hit it up um beyond that uh our patreon we are able to do this we have these equipment that we are recording on right now uh and we're able to do stuff like go to gp vegas in the first place um so we can hang out with people uh, because of it so if you please go to our patreon it's why we can make this happen just donate anything from a dollar or above um, it also allows you to participate in stuff like brew offs where people submit their brews and we'll deck tech them on the show um, and more. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And uh, that's, I think, all of the shout outs. And so, into the day, big news of the day. There's uh, magic is completely changing again. So, uh, for those who <laughs> don't <laughs> put it lightly, <laughs> those who don't know, um, a couple years ago, or two years ago, I think, exactly. So, a couple. <laughs> uh, Mar wrote a big article where they talked about the problem they've had with doing three sets per block. And that third set would always kind of be less as good and they tried doing new stuff and so they went to what we've been currently living in which is one big block one small block one big set per block and then one small block and then the block goes to the next one uh and you can kind of see that with kaladesh and battle for zendikar and shadows of Innistrad and now amaket um and they've still run into problems um and now they've announced that instead of two sets per block they're just getting rid of blocks and we're now just going to have three large sets a year followed by a core set and uh yeah <laughs> and that's like 60 60 percent so yeah Corbin, what, what what do you want to like kind of break down let's break it down each thing what is what does no more small blocks mean well i think it means a couple things um one of which is some of the more expensive cards and this is something that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they see this but some of the more expensive cards of magic's history come from small sets and the general idea is um this was especially prevalent in the in the three set model of a block um right think of um uh let's see here let me Theros. think of a yeah i would say i was trying to think of one that actually had good cards in it um uh, but 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 yeah uh, sh- uh um um scars of mirrodin block so you have uh, yeah, new yeah, phyrexia exactly. with with yep. the praetors right. like elish norn up to and including gitaxia yep. probe yeah, and, and boring class. Yeah, that, that thing's insane, right? Even Get Probe was like five bucks. Um, so, yeah, so think about it. You know, Scars of Mirrodin comes out, and you draft three of those packs for three months. Cool. Mirrodin Besiege comes out. Okay, well, it's one Mirrodin Besiege, two Scars for three months. Great. 
now New Phyrexia comes out, and the biggest draw for Magic every year is when the new set comes, the new block came out, right? It came out in the fall. It was a new world. It was really cool. And that's when you got people back in. You know, that's when your casual players would come out to FNM a little more often. By the time you get to that third set in the, in the spring, it's New Phyrexia. You know, some people are still invested. They're into it. But you open one New Phyrexia pack for three months in drafts, and that's it. And that was their lowest selling period as well. And that's right, you how get... you got cards that just were insanely expensive because it, it just wasn't drafted at all. It wasn't opened much at all. Um, and also given that I mean, even it was in, even in underpower sets like uh, Dragon's Maze, where the power level wasn't even that hard, you get stuff like Voice Resurgence ending yeah. up being like a forty dollars card because it was the yeah. only card in that set and no one opened it. Exactly, and 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 you know, making it even worse, they needed a reason to sell the third set. So what that often led to was pushed mechanics, um, which led to cards like you know your Shiodrid or your Phyrexian Mana in the first place. Batter obviously a, a terrible thing. Yeah, all these really these these overpowered cards. Um, and it just compounded the problems, and you ended up with really expensive cards. So it means that um, that that's a product of small sets, and we even saw it sort of with like Liliana, and which I think was an Eldritch Moon, right? Yes, Liliana, Embercle, yeah. Grim Flare. Yeah. Like if you look at yeah, the power level between those two, twenty plus dollars for a long time, or still are. Um, and plus, Embercle was pushed um, partially for story reasons, but also partially because they needed to sell the second set, um, and it was expensive, and then it got banned. So there's a lot of issues surrounding that and this probably clears up a lot of them to be honest this, i think that it, it is sort of weird to to do away with it and i worry more about the um you know if you're taking people to three new worlds a year that's a lot to ask people to get excited for right um, but it does that's that may become its own challenge but this move does solve a lot of the problems they faced with the small sets well i think you you get a, a lot of other like cool things a power level or like because, you know, before you're describing, you know, one set would be more expensive than the other, I think you'll have a, a little bit more of a flatter price differentiations between sets. It's not going to be... Because, like, in your example, not only did you only open one pack of New Phyrexia, but you opened Scars of Mirrodin's packs basically from September until yeah. July. And now you're just going to open up for the first three months, and then the next three months are going to be a different set, and then the next three months are going to be a different set. Right. Um, it could lead to some flatlining, um... I mean, one of the, the points we'll get to later about Masterpieces may change that as well, but we'll see. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll flat line. I think more it'll just put, it'll average everything out a little bit better. Like, uh, the, yeah. the 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 general value of a set, and we'll still have problems of the, the fact that the fall set's always going to do slightly better because it's people coming back to school and, you know, being able to do F&M every Friday after school yeah. versus... Not going to the lake. Yeah, yeah versus, yeah, uh, everything from this point on in the year is, oh, it's summer break, so I can go play Magic or I can go on this vacation that I'm going to go right. on. Um, or summer jobs that don't let you get out, et cetera, et cetera. So th that, that definitely, I think, has some effect on it. Um, the other thing is just they... In general, and this is a draft thing, which is not modern focused, but in general, drafting the two small set, one big set pack was always kind of just not as fun. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It was definitely, um, and this was something they said the research showed that people liked doing the three pack uh, from the same set drafts, and I always did. Um, I thought, say, using our example, New Phyrexia, Mirrodin Besieged, Scars Mirrodin was terrible, right? I don't want to do that at all. I actually thought it was kind of interesting with the two-set model, uh, where, say, Kaladesh is the best example, I think, because there were cards like, um, I think the map was in there, like the Renegade map or whatever it was called, um, and like the... Uh, 
it was like a white card or something that could when it came into play you could bounce something and in call of Destiny, they were just sort of eh, i can see some ways to use them but they're whatever then ether revolt came out and it completely changed the evaluations of those cards in call of Destiny, uh because of the revolt mechanic and i thought that was actually pretty cool but at the end of the day i'd still rather just draft draft triple call of Destiny or whenever you ask anybody about their favorite format of all time and draft it's always like triple inishrod triple rise yeah um, it's, it's never uh, the only it, yeah. block i can think of blocks that i can think of people saying oh it's their favorite are like time spiral block and yeah. return the ravnica block or not return uh actual ravnica block um right. probably because actual ravnica block you don't get all 10 like it kind of really is just one set <laughs> spread over three right. sets it's just you, you see them differently it's like yeah. every set has the continuation of the cycles that they're trying to complete <laughs> and, and also just for logistical things um it's a lot harder to draft two packs of one set and one pack of another set like if i'm getting eight friends together to draft it's really easy if we buy a box and we draft oh, yeah. packs and have price support it's a lot more complicated if now we have to draft two-thirds of this box and a third of this box and now we're you know it's unbalanced and now we have all these extra packs and what are you going to do with them like it just logistically this solves that problem too and that's a real thing for people trying to play on their own Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, we lived in a situation where even stores had would have weighted balances on how many packs they'd have to just hold on to because they oh we need to like have one box for every six drafts we do of uh, yeah Kaladesh because it, we only need one pack per player. Yeah. It was it was just odd. Um. And even if the the experience on those were sometimes fun, it, it you know this cleans it up a lot. And and, and from from all yeah. of these logistical standpoints, I think um it. It all these are all very good changes, and I think there are going to be some new challenges that they're introducing. But I like what it's doing for most of this. The the other thing they mentioned, uh, and and I, we'll get into the core set uh, after this because um, this kind of leads into it. But um, last year there was a huge amount of fatigue during the summer because we had literally a new draft set every month for five months straight. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> you led from you started with Shadows Innistrad and then it went right into Eternal Masters, which went right into Eldritch Moon, which went right into Conspiracy, which went right into Kaladesh, and just like I literally felt like I drafted each set once because it just like was exhausting to keep up with everything. Yeah. and moving into this new system where they're going to move the summer set back to core sets, which has a lot of strengths to it uh, to for both modern and for the game, you know, the game in general, it just makes it so like all of the content that they're going to start coming out with the summer is a little bit more easily digested. Yeah. And it provides a, a path for people um, a lot. Yeah. Last year I was, was actually kind of crazy. Like just thinking back on it when you mentioned that it's like, it really felt like they were testing the waters of just how many products can we put out uh, <laughs> and get people to buy them all. Um, but yeah, moving to the core set now, it, you're right. It gives a, a sort of a break, a reset period there in the summer for people. Um, and if they don't like a set, if they don't like the mechanics or whatever, it's only going to be around for three months. <laughs> you don't oh, have yeah. to. Yeah, you could just, you, you know, it, you don't have to check out a magic for an entire year or even six months now um, because you didn't like it. You can just take a break for, for a couple months. It's three months. Don't play or play constructed and not, not worry about. The, yeah. the the draft format which is just way better on for many different reasons. the other thing i wanted to mention before we jump past this is is my biggest concern when we did the original jump away from three set blocks to two set blocks was kind of what you're talking about before where everyone's favorite s format is uh triple x you know triple aldrazi triple innistrad and no one really likes the the multi-set blocks 
there are a few three set blocks historically that I th- or like that or three set draft formats that you can draft that are really fun. I know no one that's like, oh yeah, this two draft. I've never heard anyone say like, Scars of Mirrodin and Battle for or uh, and um, Mirrodin Besiege. Those are that draft format. Those two sets <laughs> right, are my favorite. Yeah. Like, there's been never really a window where because it's always weighted towards one. You don't like at least the, the with all three you have this kind of even distribution of everything. When it's two and then one, you're definitely a lot less. That's focused. true. It's like a yeah, weird. Yeah, I think the the only one I've ever heard like positive reviews on and even if we count like morning tide lore win and even tide Shadowmore, i think eldritch moon shadows over inishrod was the only one that actually got like really solid reviews totally and, and part of that was how different the sec like it the second one was from the first one without yeah. feeling too like this they did a good job of carrying over themes while drastically changing the environment which i thought was really yeah. cool but then they got rid it's of probably clues. their best success in the two block model i think was was that set from a from a mechanical and, and flavor and, and gameplay standpoint, Emrakul notwithstanding. I mean, de- definitely. I mean, it, Battle for Zendikar, I do give a lot of forgiveness towards. I think there's just big mistakes that were made. Part one being that Oath of the Gatewatch should have been the first set. <laughs> um, yeah, that but, was that was bad. But some of that was also them being like, oh, we have to smush this three-block set into two sets. Go. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, uh, yeah, that a lot changed with that they, they were they were going through a lot of change right then and you know i think that there's no telling what that set looked like when it when it when it started out with them as opposed to what actually got released right yeah i agree they, they deserve a little bit of a pass for that one and then shadow of the industry was great i think they did a great job uh and then kaladesh wasn't bad in any way it just was kind of neutral feeling I, like i don't know and then what it did this and then standard is a whole other conversation that i can't really yeah, speak right. towards but uh, unfortunately, it will probably get sort of bogged down in history um, because of Copter and uh, now Marvel. Um, you know, that yeah, just it's, I think it's always going to be tied to that. And the but even vehicles were, were actually pretty bad in, in draft two, like Renegade Freighter straight into Untethered Express. Yeah, that's like, true. They just didn't learn their lesson with Freighter, and they just printed another broken vehicle. Like that actually ruined a lot of limited games. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting how vehicles beforehand were definitely like, oh, is this going to be the next equipment? Are vehicles going to show up in other places? And then even for articles on Amiket, they're like, oh, yeah, we had vehicles in the set originally. And then they ended up cutting it. And it's like because vehicles ended up being a little too strong. They're hard to – yeah. They're too strong, which is and, – and, and part of the issue is they're too strong because they've moved removal towards a sorcery speed pendulum swing. And so when right. the only way to interact with the vehicle is at sorcery speed – or is that instant speed effects or enchantment or artifact removal? Um, you run into problems. <laughs> yeah, and it gave you know, and gave every creature haste, so it made board wipes worse. And As it they, was just, yeah. it was, it was just, it's just sort of the classic mistake is they were a lot less interactive um, than maybe wizards had envisioned in the first place. You know, right. same like hexproof seemed great on paper. And terrible in practice. Vehicles are probably sort of the same way. Yeah, and I think and, I th- and energy is its own, you know, its own, its own topic that had its pluses and negatives. And I think they sort of just missed the bar on what was fair energy costs. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with just they have at most twenty people that are going to be paying attention to right. balancing this versus all of the world. And if they were to come back to an energy set, they would be slightly more able to gouge what is a correct amount of energy but whenever you invent a new resource it's hard yeah um, yeah it's it's very hard 
And yeah. it's like, yep. I, I give them a pass on, like, sort of they get a pass on the one hand. Like, I can understand how you could have gotten vehicles and gotten energy wrong internally because they are so new and so different. There's a lot to them. I can see that at the same time that actually sort of doesn't lessen the real world effect of what those things did. True. Totally. Totally. Um, and then, I, I mean, we'll see what I'm, you know, de- our devastation is going to be like. Uh, I'm I very much like the first set, and I can imagine me, like, the mechanics that are in that set are also, like, all up my alley. It's cycling and three different flashback mechanic variants. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of what I want to be doing in Magic at all times, um, playing stuff out of the graveyard and or gaining value for free out of things. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, we'll see, but I'm definitely so far pretty hyped. And Nickel Bull is showing up. Desert Tribal. These are things I know will happen. I'm assuming some of these mechanics are going to return that I love. So Yeah, Desert Tribal's sweet. Yeah. That's just a nice little touch that doesn't doesn't really do anything, but it is cool. Oh yeah, I like I I, I kind of hope it's not super playable, but just it's I'm going to be really happy. And maybe one there'll yeah. be a commander that works with deserts and I can play a desert deck <laughs> commander. Well, it's the kind of thing that you know, it maybe it doesn't do anything now, but maybe in return to Amonkhet in four years, they go harder on the desert theme, and then all these cards are really cool, yeah. right? So it, I just like it's it's just like a nice little Easter egg that may or may not matter. Oh, and right? yeah, and, and, and it's cool if it does. And it, that happens all the. I mean, we'll we'll be talking about Aldrazi later today, so that's like just a thing that can happen. Yeah. Um. Do, 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 all right. So and then I guess yeah, let's get into the core set because I think that's that's also I think the most relevant thing to modern players beyond just what yeah. prices are going to be from standard sets moving forward. Um, I think, you know, we're getting back to core sets. And, and there's a few reasons that this is happening. Um, one is, in general, just people kind of missed them, I think. <laughs> As just like a simple back-to-basics way to get anything. But right. I think the two big ones is they needed an easy way to get new players into the game from a printing perspective and weren't able to really accomplish it. And then more than anything, they realized, oh, we can't reprint stuff into sets anymore. Or, like, it's way harder than we expected to get flavorful reprints into sets. Yeah, I think when they originally did it, we originally made a change. They're like, yeah, we'll throw Inquisition of Kozilek in. That was the example they used. Or, yeah, we'll throw Pithy Needle in. Um, and to be fair, Pithy Needle could have gone in Kaladesh. But Inquisition of Kozilek, like they said, they explained in the article, just could not have fit into to, to Battle for Zendikar or Oath of the K-Watch at all, just by the way those sets were designed. And the, you just don't have any you have no valve to do that stuff outside of modern masters. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, Hey, the masters sets are, are the new core set. And to an extent that's true, but it's also just not enough based on the, you know, what those sets are. They're, they're limited run $10 MSRP. You know, that that's just sort of fundamentally different than getting, um, you know, a core set with, with just needed reprint with the birds of paradise reprint every year. Although I guess that's a bad example because they don't want that in standard, but you know, that idea. Right. Well, and, and beyond that, I mean, the, the other thing that I think is really important and I think like, cause I think reprints were the first thing they kind of looked at and then they needed a new player product. They mentioned in the article that right. they were designing a new player product, but it required them to create some type of limited product for people, new players to get into. And that just really didn't exist anymore. And it kind of made it so the product they were developing didn't work. Um, and then the third one is what core sets were kind of always used for was great standard valves of like, oh, because the core set design schedule is a much shorter run. You can kind right. of plan more based on what sets end up being instead of trying to predict, oh, we're printing, you know, Kaladesh right now. We need to make sure we know ahead of time that this X, Y, and Z is going to be in the set. So we need to design this so it has valves for that. You don't know what that set's going to be, but a core set happens much shorter. So you'd be like, oh, we need Pithing Needle. 
right. the, the rest needs to be printed in the standard. Otherwise, the standard format breaks in half. And yeah, it's too and, late to fix yeah. half of it. <laughs> and, and I think one of the things I was – I felt like reading the article, I picked up on it a few times. Um, before, when they moved from – when when reprint, when core sets were all reprints, that made sense. They were what they were. They were unexciting, but they put cards out there. Then they moved to the M10 through M15 structure. And uh, that started off fine, right? Oh, we have some new cards. That's cool. But it's, it's like a core, a core set, but not – and I actually think some of the problems that they encountered with those is by the end of it, you know, like if you read what they said when they killed core sets in the first place, is that they all they, they started to become normal sets. You know, M14 and M15 weren't just core set light uh, or, you know, core set with some new cards like M10 was. They were their own sets with their own identities and their own things. And I think a lot of it was internal. It's like whoever they put on in charge of that doesn't want to make a core set. They want to make their set. They want to leave their mark and, right. and really make it something that people remember fondly. And I think it just sort of naturally evolved from look at M10 and look at the cards in that. It looks a lot like 10th edition, but there's some new cards, but it's still fundamentally a core set. And you look at M15 and it's like, yeah, there's some reprints, sure. But that's it's sort of fundamentally not what this is. It's its, its own thing now. And that led it away. So what I liked in the article is that Morrow was, was sort of very clear. It felt like with expect, that expectations are going to be different for the core set. The core set will not be expected to do as well as a normal set, and it will not be expected to pull that same weight. It's for newer players. And I hope that means that there's not going to be this, this internal pressure to design a really great core set. It's just going to be this is this sort of this product is what it is these are our expectations for it you know we don't need to push it every year until it becomes something different than what it was intended to be right and if they can stay away from that i think it's great to have it back you know it's great to have m10 back i don't want m15 back or magic origins and i think part of that is and i might be wrong on this statement but um i'm pretty sure that what they started doing with the m sets was letting the newest the new designers that like that was your first design lead and so if you're a new designer and this is your first set you get to design, you want to make it exciting, interesting, and to do well. Right. So you're, the, the motivation on that person isn't to make a core set for what it's supposed to be. It's to make something that will allow the other designers to allow that person to lead a large set in the fall or a small <laughs> set following up right. a large set. Because um, right. that's just motivation. That's how people work. You know, When you're a new person trying to get to the top, you want to do the best you can. And of course, it needs more like an old wizened person being like, no, 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 no. We need to be calm and collective. Here. Yeah, let's like <laughs> let's get some real let's get some real staple effects of magic in here. Not let's design flip walkers that break standard or whatever. You right. know, right? Like, totally. They're so fundamentally different. Um, and, and 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 I think it'll be cool. A, it allows them to kind of do a little uh, some of the revisiting, and then B, it lets them kind of do a little bit of a follow up. You know, one of the things that they did really well. And Magic Origins did this is visit planes that we're probably never going to see again. You know, we got yeah. a little bit more Lorwyn Lo- Lo- and Shadow War. My guess is in the future we'll get a Kamigawa revisit on a, yeah. on a core set yeah. where it's like, we're never going to go here, but we get it. There's like 12 of you on the internet that are very vocal about how much you <laughs> love Kamigawa. So here's Tamio's story. <laughs> yeah, set. here's Tamio's story and 25 card names you can't pronounce. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I, I definitely think it's good. I think the new player angle is really important. Um, I think for modern players, this is the reprint necessary f- tool that we've kind of always been wanting. Now, now I think they've done an okay job. I mean, if you look at 
there are a few cards that they haven't reprinted into a modern master set at this point but if you look at all three sets combined they've hit most major staples especially yeah. if you look at what the staples were starting when the first one came out um right like most of the staples that haven't been reprinted this yet scape shift ignoring scape shift <laughs> and curse catcher <laughs> it are cards that have been good this whole time and so like the newer decks have offered new things and those haven't been reprinted yet, but that's something that can cycle and happen in the future. Um, right. Exactly. They, well, I mean, they obviously upped to the bar a lot last year. Yeah. Oh, totally. That. Um, and, and the, the last thing we're going to see in general is, or I'm interested to see how they handle it is, do we get stuff like lightning bolt again? Cause there was a period where they made the way they made M sets exciting was, here's a one power card that was yeah. crazy cool and you get to play with it again and and how much they didn't want that affecting standard before and they mentioned it in the article i wonder if they're going to want to continue mentioning it or like yeah, they continue that effect true. like it, it, yes they said they're going to want reprints and that means stuff like inquisition or kozlek which wouldn't have made it because of not power level reasons but flavor reasons like we'll get the flavor reprints but there's a whole power level reprint level that i imagine becoming an issue yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's interesting because it can't go both ways because they've it's it's odd because they they've printed in the last few years in standard they print like these sort of clearly broken cards like Immercool or Ulamog or Marvel or these things that are so incredibly powerful in the standard context even if they don't necessarily break um, eternal formats or whatever but then they won't give us um, like we don't get Birds of Paradise right, right we don't get right. Land of War Elves or whatever now um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's like it would be really exciting if they brought back. Yeah, it, it pains me to say to say Elvish Mystic, but so I'll say Birds of Paradise. Um, <laughs> but it would be exciting if they brought back Birds of Paradise or Lightning Bolt or anything. Um, what, but it's, it's really weird because, like, objectively, the power level of Standard is both way higher and way lower than it was five years ago. Yeah, it, well, I think part of it is they've done this huge pendulum swing towards creatures and away from answers. Um, yeah. that you have this situation where decks are kind of allowed to do their thing, and when you don't have any valves on that, you run in, you know, the last four-mana board wipe printed was the, the what, because minus four, minus four, all things in black. Well, I forget languish, what yeah. yeah. Languish, and then, I mean, Fatal Push happened. Like, And then Fatal Push was kind of their statement, like, we want to get back to printing answers that are effective, and so maybe that'll start happening more and more, but it's definitely interesting to see what happens. Uh, and the core set allows them to kind of do that. The other thing a core set allows them to do a little bit better than regular sets is, is uh, bring old cards into modern. You know, that's how we got Scavenging right. Ooze. That's how we got... That's right. So, it's like, true. a lot of those cards don't work in regular sets, and, you know, the the valveness of, of a core set, where the fact that it's only there for one year, also allows them to maybe bring in a little bit more pushed things, because um, hopefully it'll rotate quicker than normal if it's problematic. Um and you kind of saw that. I mean, that's that's the other reason I think Emrakul and Gideon uh, and Standard were so bonkers powerful and stuff in Kaladesh is that they printed these sets or designed these sets hoping that, oh, these power levels might be a little bit more pushed on what we're doing, but we get to try some new things because they'll rotate quicker. And then halfway through, they're like, uh, never mind, they're going to stay here for an entire two years. <laughs> right. And yeah, so that, that's also a problem. They like looked at Emrakul like, well, we can't – when this was going to be around for 12 months – because it was the second set in a set, and it was going to rotate quicker, not as much of an issue. But now that it's going to be there for two years or an entire 18-month cycle, it's much more problematic, um, which they, they changed before. Now, let us uh, I, I do want to get past core sets and move into 
um, them kind of uh, walking away from masterpieces and not fully walking away, but uh, kind of their decision to, well, they said it, they're no longer going to include masterpieces in every set. They said they would um, previously, and then they realized after Amaket that there just aren't enough uh, available things to keep up at the rate that they were printing it at. So instead, probably my guess is, and they have no formal announcement on this, but once a year, we're going to get a masterpiece set in one of the sets. Yeah, it's so it's honestly weird. Like they haven't been around that long, <laughs> right? It was Kaladesh when we got him forever, right? It's been yeah, six months. Two Did sets. they not see this coming? <laughs> and my Is my shocker, there there's not enough good cards to reprint. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised a they didn't just like list them all and like list ones they yeah. thought would be exciting. <laughs> and b, I. Why do fifty? <laughs> yeah, they did so many. Like if they had just. Did like, like a third of that number and did less of the bad ones. It could have achieved what they wanted to achieve and still made them exciting. Yeah, you could have done you could have done ten to fifteen depending on what cycle needs you might have and do like yeah. five new cards. So like the five coolest cycle, the coolest cycle you're getting in the new set, and then right. five older cards, and then that and that's it. So ten cards a set, five of them are new, so it's only five only reprints, and I feel like that could have lasted forever. But like, yeah. What are the 50 best artifacts in Magic? Yes, eventually that list is going to get bored. The, the cards at the bottom are going to not be that good. Right. <laughs> and it, it's so here's the problem with it, right? If they had just done it, and I, honestly, I had this criticism when they announced in, uh, when they announced Masterpieces with Kaladesh that there were too many. But the problem with it now is if they had done that and say we, so we had 15 a set, that would have been sustainable and it would have given a baseline. Now we're, you know, we talked about the value of, of standard evening out earlier, but one of the things that a lot of people may not understand about masterpieces, and, and I'll try not to go too deep here, I'll keep it brief, but when sets are in print, when standard sets are in print, there's a cap on how much value the cards in oh. the set can maintain. So so because, for everyone, we yeah. did this, we, t we discussed and explained kind of this as our entire episode last week. So Oh, perfect. Yeah, so the whole masterpiece going away is really funny because we literally talked an entire episode about them and how they – or like, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, but two weeks ago, we talked all about masterpieces and how they affected magic. Go back to that one. That will explain how they affect box value. But, Corbin, do a, a brief description for people that didn't list that episode. Yeah, okay, but, yeah, yeah. No, that's great because it's a very deep topic. Um, but the sets can only hold so much value, so – uh, and that value has to go somewhere. So when masterpieces are in a set, they soak up a lot of that value. And because they're just cosmetic items, because they're all reprints, that value is directly coming off of the standard playables that you have to have. Because you don't have to have masterpieces, but you do have to have Liliana or whatever. So, you know, Liliana is like $30. Or I'll just, so Kaladesh, right? Let's talk about Kaladesh. Say Etherworks Marvel is like an $8 card or whatever. Because masterpieces soak up a lot of the value in the set. Without masterpieces, Marvel could have been 20 bucks um, because that value has to go somewhere and the value can only go so high. So if there are more cards in a set to hold the value, um, then it will spread out even. And since some number of those were going to be masterpieces that you didn't have to have, the cards you did have to have to play standard as a direct result had lower values across the board. And that's how you got really cheap standard lands over the past year and a half. So moving into a world where we only get masterpieces once a year ish i mean we won't have the small set problem of cards being expensive but we will have a problem where the average price of the standard playable cards you need from a set will vary drastically depending on the mass whether or not it's a masterpiece set and that could cause problems yeah i it masterpieces we talked about it were great at lowering the price of standard and, and that's yeah. kind of what 
you know, everyone kind of wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's what they were that's what they were made to do. If you actually read between the lines of Mar- Morrow's first article announcing them, a lot of it was we wanted to increase accessibility to standard. This happens like this is a way that does that, and it's all roundabout because they can't talk about the secondary know, market prices and everything. Yeah, and the secondary market, um, but it was there. If you if you if you knew what you were looking for, those that sentiment is there, and it did exactly that. Yeah, it, it's it's. And like I, when they did it the first time for Battle for Zendikar, I, I got it. Like they, they did a lot, and and, and that it made sense because it was the first time they were trying it out. I, I really do think that like getting rid of them entirely is going too far. Um, doing it once in a while is going to be weird because we're going to be like, oh, why does this random set? Because its theme is on like, oh, we're going back to Theros, so it makes sense to have enchantment, right? Masterpieces, whatever whatever they're going to call, um, in this set, but not in this set, just because. You know, its theme wasn't strong enough, or we didn't think Return to Ravnica had enough space to do masterpieces. Which and and the other end is like, I was talking about it with Ben, and and he pointed out like there's a bunch of commander cards even that if you came out with if you came in an invocation for Niv Mizzet, that card would be bonkers worth things, and people would be excited <laughs> right. to open it because it's yeah he's like a red green dragon, a red blue dragon, so it fits with Niv Mizzet, so or uh, Nickel Bolas, or you know whatever. So like. There are cards that you can make special that aren't technically worth something when they're not special. Like Ornithopter ended up being this, where by having a special version of it and it being a fan favorite or well-played card of a uncommon or common, it becomes worth it. And I feel like there's a lot more cards than they're giving credit to to be able to accomplish that with. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing's going to be it's going to be really interesting to, to to sort of study moving forward, right? To see what it does to standard prices and what it does to, you know, maybe reverse the gains they had made over the past year in price and accessibility. We'll see. Yep. And and the last thing and we I don't we, we touched on a little bit, but now one of the cool things is that sets can so they're getting rid of blocks, but they can have a set immediately follow another set that are related. Um yeah. and so we talked about this a little bit four weeks ago, I think, when we did a like uh, where we could go in the future in different sets. Like what is a return to return to Ravnica look like? Um, and one of the big problems we had with that set specifically was how do you fit 10 guilds into a set and a half? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and we couldn't figure it out. And this answers that problem is you'll literally have, you know, the, the spring set will, or the winter set will be return the Ravnica a and the, uh, spring set will be returned to Ravnica B and you'll be able to do the full 10 guilds again and everything is happy and perfect in the universe. But yeah, yeah uh, that's, that, it'll, it'll be cool. And I guess the other cool thing was being able to do uh, see a plane and then have the Phyrexian invade that plane immediately afterwards, or vice versa, go to New Phyrexia <laughs> yeah, and then like true. have them open the gate to Kamigawa and then they destroy Kamigawa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get basically like the uh, uh, the the lower and morning tide, Shadowmore, Aventide sort of thing, or like the um, the Khans of Tarkir, Dragons of Tarkir, where you can see same place through a vastly different lens yeah um, yeah that that is kind of cool yeah we're gonna it'll be it'll be I, i'm excited i think a i'm generally for trying new things and b um it's interesting watching wizards learn lessons from trying new stuff and and we've said it on this cast a thousand times is it's better that they're trying new things than i'm just doing the same thing every year because eventually that stagnates right. and becomes boring absolutely all right now Next subject matter entirely. No longer talking about the big news. GP Vegas. Are you are you going to GP Vegas? Hype. <laughs> Hype. I fly out. Uh, what time is it? Uh, and I fly out in about twelve hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Um, and and I guess I'm going to let you kind of do a, a brief kind of explanation on what GP Vegas is. Yeah. So Vegas is the first time that we've – it's not the first time we've gone to Vegas, and we've had the biggest events of Magic history in Vegas. But this is different because they're running three Grand Prix back-to-back-to-back um, starting on Thursday. Um and I don't – I think it's Legacy. I don't have the order off the top of my head. But there's a Legacy Grand Prix, a Modern Grand Prix, and an Omicat Sealed Grand Prix. And one of them starts on Thursday, runs Thursday, Friday, then Friday, Saturday, then Saturday, Sunday. And it's – you know, if you don't make – it's it's kind of brilliant because if you don't make day two on Thursday uh, of the next, of that GP, just sign up for the Friday GP. Give them all your money, right? It's, um, yeah, if you're, it's if a you're, lot going on. If you're either – not great at magic or like not trying to day two every day you literally could just play in a different gp three days in a row yeah yeah and and of course it's vegas i don't know how many people they're expecting but they're expecting a lot of people i know the vendors have been planning for this for months like this is going to be blown out just like the last two vegas's were and the first vegas i remember just being crazy because no one knew what it would be and I remember I, I road tripped out there with some friends, and we were just watching the uh, the ticker go up on the people signing up, and it was like twenty five hundred. Wow, this is not three thousand. What four thousand? Oh my god! Right. And then you know they actually were like five thousand or whatever people, and it broke Wizards Event Reporter. Um, and they the scorekeeper Nick Fong, who's who's incredible at all that stuff, had to basically save it from the back end um, because it, the the stuff had never been built to handle all of it. Right. 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 So Vegas one goes down just all this lore. So then Vegas 2 happens, and um, it was essentially sort of the same thing, um, and and it was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Um, they had learned the lessons. Cascade Games ran that one, um, and, it, and it was a good event. And now, so this year, Wizards figured out how to make it even bigger. So there's going to be a lot going on. Channel Fireball has a lot planned uh, with, with guests out there, um, you know, all your favorite podcasts, YouTubers. Um, all of this stuff's going to be going on, so it's going to be pretty nuts. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, the second Vegas felt very much like the classic sequel, where it was bigger, had a larger budget, was more flashy, but then maybe wasn't as unique and special. And then he this, didn't have the like. Remember that I was there for that sort of feel. Right. Exactly. And then and then this one, this one's gonna be a whole. I mean, it kind of is a reboot. It's a whole yeah. kind of new game. Um, it's interesting too. I wonder how many people. I feel like this one is going to have a little bit of a different feel, though, because before the other two, because they were the Modern Masters um, set was the limited format, you had an environment that people had to play in. It was like, right. oh, this is the only time ever in the history of the world that this set will ever be a GP format. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not to mention, I have the chance of, like, opening Foil Tarmogoyfs plus other crazy stuff in this format and just, you know, doing really well. And... This is going to be different, so I feel like this has the chance to being the closest thing we're ever going to get to a like, like where Blizzard has BlizzCon to like WizardCon. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's um, exactly what I was I was thinking about. You know, this is it could be viewed as a dry run uh, towards this sort of thing in the future. Yeah, you know, maybe in the future they decide that this giant thing, um, and if they put if they decide three GPs are the way to get people there, maybe that's what they do, but. You know, it could be a blueprint for this sort of thing in the future. Yeah, just doing a, a bi-yearly kind of their own Comic-Con big convention where it's it's more about the convention side and then you just use the three GPs as a framework or skeleton right. to kind of build around it. Um, right. Since Magic is a big tournament game. But, you know, like I'm not playing in any of the GPs this, this weekend, even the modern one, because I'd rather just hang out with people, meet people, play a bunch of side events where like I'll be able to play as much modern as my heart can 
can dream of, but I don't have to make any real commitments, which means that like it's more yeah. of a and we're in Vegas, so it's you know there's a lot more versatility in being able to just to go and hang out with everyone and participate. Um, and it, and yeah. I think I think it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are for the actual tournaments because you know to go to Comic Con you have to either be a professional or spend. $250, I think, to just get a ticket, and eventually maybe that's what this convention becomes, is there's a GP, and maybe GP entry comes with entry to the turn, to the to the convention. To the whole thing, yeah, that, that could be true. But then, you know, individuals that don't want to do that, just like, here's $250, maybe you get a few side events guaranteed, or something along yeah. those lines, and then you just get to have a fun time. Um, but I'm super excited. I mean, the, the from I, a... I like you know, a world where that's a thing. Like, I went to in GP Vegas one. I played and I made the top 32 of the tournament, which is, you know, that's great. But I missed out on so much. I was like, man, you know, I, I just spent my whole weekend playing magic. I guess I messed up. Totally. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, know? so the, this, like, I, I really am OK with the world where it becomes a convention, a four day, four or five day convention that um, happens to have some tournaments at it. Yeah, I think, and it's something it's something I've wanted GPs to become for a really long time. It's one of the reasons I right. loved uh, GP. Um, not Denver, or Dallas, GP, Detroit, <laughs> um, uh-huh. because with the escape with this, room, yeah, with the escape room, it had yeah. it had the the Avison restored yep. uh, or the Shadows of Innistrad escape room with you know the giant church that Avison was in, and then in other parts of the world uh, there were other different escape that rooms. That was fun. And, like, yeah, I, I happened. I was there for that. That was awesome. Yeah, it was the most it was the most conventiony kind of one of these felt, and was, like to the extent that I was even able to talk a friend who does not play Magic at all. Uh, to go to it because he was like, oh, I'll go through an escape room. <laughs> yeah, right. And and so like the more stuff like that, the more like this one, uh, I'm like really stoked on how many panels they're going to be and how many content creators are kind of doing their own different events. Um, speaking of which, go to the command zone one. <laughs> and <laughs> subtle plug, um, you can find all the information on Twitter. <laughs> and, and you know, it, it's it's sweet. I'm like I'm super stoked. Uh, I think it's going to be a giant blast, and I think it's going to be the event that. Um, could really change the tide on how magic deals with these big community building events yeah and they've been you know we've we've been subtly moving to that like you said the the escape rooms at those um and it's you know they haven't done anything like that since so i don't know what we're supposed to take from that but just also even like the prize wall is a thing um so it's not just about it used to all be about the grand prix and that's what you did inside right yeah they were there you got some packs but now like the you know the 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 prize wall get introduced, and that adds a whole nother thing to a weekend. A lot of people go get the like pass to play all the side events they want and don't play the main event. And yeah. more and more artists search shows now, and that's a thing. And yeah, I, this is this is this is actually a pretty cool um, idea for future for future events to really bring out more players than just the people who because playing in Grand Prix is very intimidating to a lot of people. Oh yeah, and th- like there's a ton of Magic players that would say. Oh, there's a magic convention in Vegas. I'm completely down to go that. That the fact that it, oh, it's a Jeep, it's a Grand Prix. I don't want to go play in a big tournament. That's not really what I want to go to do. And they're not going to go. Right. And when you change that culturally to more of a social giant hanging out event, you're going to end up with, I think, a more rounded kind of player base, which is kind of what Magic has become. You know, like yeah, ten years ago when I started playing Magic the magic celebrities were pretty much exclusively the pros and Mark Rosewater. Um, right. <laughs> and since then, there's just been a lot of content creators, I, us, both of us included, but just that aren't like, I could never take down a pro tour. I've never even qualified for one. So, but I like to talk about magic. I have, a, you know, and, and a lot of these communicate, like the professor wouldn't win a pro tour, but he's 
one of the most followed Magic people. So it's moving a little bit beyond just straight tournament play and a little bit more about just a community, which is what it's kind of always been about anyways. Of course, yeah. And, and Wizards deserves a little bit of credit for finally catching on to that. Um, because for people who don't know, Magic is sort of always been supported by the casual player, right? Your F&M attendance um, is what it is. And compared to the number of people in your city who have played Magic at all, it's very low. Um, you know, the big box stores sell product to people who go home and play and don't ever look up the rules, don't ever go to, um, you know, channelfireball.com or tcgplayer.com or follow Magic on Twitter. They've never turned on Grand Prix coverage. But those people play and buy Magic cards, and Wizards gets a large part of their business from them. And to their credit, Wizards has done a really good job over, I'd say, the past three to five years of, of actually connecting to that and reaching out and working with someone like, uh, you know, the Professor or, or Mana Source and, um uh, and bringing them in and making it about not just the pro game and, and sort of highlighting the other parts of the community. Right. And that's done a good job at growing it because it's not just about the tournaments, even though that's kind of what the company's focus was for a really long time. And and, and to gain the legitimacy that they did and, and the reason that Magic has existed for 20, almost 25 years is because, you know, in the early years, they decided we're going to focus on the pro tour as our marketing thing versus mm -hmm. this because it allowed – basically whales and not in like the negative way that the, that term <laughs> right. is used in uh app development but in the sense that you know these players are going to play enough to kind of designate their life towards it that and then through them they'll convince other people around them to also be a part of this community um yeah, yeah so i mean sorry about that doorbell rank but uh we're we're we're, we're definitely on the verge of, of Magic community, community becoming more of the center focus. And I also think that's a little bit why this change was made as far as core sets go. Is it's a little bit better at kind of being a focus of where, you know, new players and bring, you know, that, that's kind of what Wizards always kind of have to bring itself back to is it retaining and gaining right. new players because eventually players leave or stop playing. So, if, you know, you're not growing, you're dying. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> um, exactly and, what I was thinking, actually. And, and, and this convention effect is a bigger as a PR thing is in more, almost even more impressive just because you now have the ability to show, oh, here is what this is going to look like. And, and this is what you could be a part of instead of, oh, you could be the best player. Most people aren't like, right. oh, I'm going to be the best Magic player. But most people are like, oh, I'd love hanging out with a bunch of people and playing a bunch of board games for a weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be fun. I know that. Yeah. And then uh, and then so I think that's kind of it for GP Vegas, unless you have anything specific you want to bring no. up. Um, no. Oh, Hope I guess to see everyone out there. Yeah, and, and as far as the modern part of GP Vegas, um, any 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 guesses on what 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 deck would you bring if you were to play in in, in the GP? So I think uh, um, objectively, the correct answer is to get good with Grixis Death Shadow and play it right. Um, that said, I think that the big decks going in, sort of, if I were to name a big four, uh, three to four, you know, it's it's Grixis Death Shadow or Death Shadow in general, Eldrazi Tron. Dredge and Counters Company, um, which mm -hmm. I think should just, it's Abzan Company. Um, yeah, I don't uh, know why it's called. No, do you know why it's it, called Counter Company? You're behind well, the scenes think, on that level. I mean, it's because like the word Counters is coming from the fact that it, it's the Counters, you know, it prevents the Counters from being put on. But I think what happened is when it came out, um, people naming the deck wanted to differentiate it between the traditional Abzan deck. That said, there is no traditional Abzan deck anymore. Abzan Company deck anymore. It's all. This. devoted drew right like, that is the new deck like this is the new Abzan company um if we didn't need to name it something else when it added renegade rally or we don't need to name it something else now it's just Abzan company and we just need to go back to that but 
That's that's my personal take. But those are the big four decks, right? Um, and I think that means there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of, of ways, to, a lot of like ceremonies, rejections, and Grixis does shadow sideboards, for instance. I think there's going to be a lot of anger of the gods. There's going to be a lot of graph diggers cages, um, and and possibly even more graveyard hate because of dredging encounters company. Um, but I think you can expect a lot of cages this weekend. Um, so pick a deck that has something good against them. If you I like death shadow is the right choice. Um, as much as I want to say Merfolk, because that's my thing, I'm not going to say that. I also think Storm is not a great choice because of all the cages. Um, what I do kind of like under the radar as a result of this is Living End. Um, sure. Because people are going to be playing cages, I think. If you look at those decks, the only one of those those four decks, and you throw in Burn and Infinity, right? Those are the other big decks, or even like your, your Scapeshift decks. None of these decks play rest in peace you have to go down to jeskai control and eldrazi taxes stuff like that um that's a smaller percentage of the metagame before you run into rest in peace and even jeskai control end, avoids it because snapcaster mage is a right exactly and, and living end does not care about graph Tiger's cage because the way living end works is the cards get exiled from your graveyard and then put into play because all the other creatures get sacrificed so just the wording of the way living end works actually completely dodges graph Tiger's cage a lot of people don't necessarily realize that. So I think the graveyard hate of choice this weekend will be Cage. Living In doesn't care about that. By the way, Living In has good matchups against Tron and Counters Company. Dredge maybe, Dredge maybe not so much. Grixis that Shadow I think is actually an okay matchup. Um, and it's, you know, it's fine against Burn or whatever, right? So mm -hmm. I think that that is sort of my under the radar uh, choice for the weekend. So uh, uh, it's interesting because I think you'll be proud of this. Uh, if I were to pick a deck walking in, I think I'm going with Merfolk. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, and there's a few reasons. One is that Death Shadow has a huge or a, a, a significant amount of time. I'm oh, sorry, this isn't coming out correctly. He has. They have a problem beating spreading seas. <laughs> it's um, true. the the Grixis The Grixis versions are a little better with it true. than the Jund ones were. But yeah, you're right. And, and then beyond that, just the the fact that, as you mentioned, the graveyard hate is going to be out in stride this weekend, and being an aggressive deck that doesn't care about the graveyard being there or not is something that I think is really uh, easy to take advantage of. That's true. I mean, you know, I don't like the Abzan matchup much with Merfolk. That's the biggest thing that scares me away from it. Sure. Tron and Dredge are, like, Dredge isn't great either. Like, they conflagrate you. You're in a lot of trouble. Tron is fine, right? I'm okay with that matchup. Walking Bliss is good against you, but you have Spreading Seas. Death Shadow I'm fine with. Um, but I don't like that Abzan matchup with Merfolk. That said, you know, it's modern. Right. You know, it can be this. You can, you can play against that deck zero times at 15 rounds um, and do well because... That's just how modern works, no matter how good it is. And that, and that was the, the other thing on our mind, is, is metagaming a GP is generally not, especially in modern, is rarely going to pay off as much as playing a deck that you're already really comfortable with. Right, exactly. <laughs> Almost every time I've been like, oh man, I'm playing this list, and it's like really good against these top three decks, and then I play maybe one of them for the first entirety of day <laughs> yeah. one, and you're just like, oh right, I should have played a deck that like can beat eight whack. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so like... Just really playing a deck that you're comfortable with, you're good at, and is just kind of going to be, in general, something that you can win with is going to be a better move than being like, oh, well, this deck has a great Dredge counter company and Grixis Shadow matchup, so I'm going to play this one because I'm going to play those once. <laughs> um, and plus, it's to have fun. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the modern half of it. Oh, speaking of, I guess, this is something that's been going around on Twitter because of the Corset edition and because a beginners-focused you know smaller version of a core set is not going to make the best pro tour 
do you think there's a chance that the modern Pro Tour comes back? I had not thought about that. Um, I don't think so, but I hope so. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> uh, that's that's probably the best I can do. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think I think we'll I think this modern's sp- probably a better format for it being gone though. Right. I think this is a conversation probably we'll do a whole episode on in the future, so we'll put that in the thing. But just everyone keep your keep that in your little docket of things to remember or think about is does what are the benefits and negatives of a modern pro tour? Yeah. All right. Now, last but not least, Mardu Eldrazi, Deck Tech. Deck Tech. Okay, so Mardu Eldrazi, now we everyone's seen a bunch of different versions of Eldrazi. Um, but what I did is I saw, and this is from Grand Prix Dallas um, in the middle of last year. Um, I think Cody Lingelbach, I believe, is, is, is the right way to say his name. But he played black-red Eldrazi to uh, like a top 32 finish. And I looked at him and, and played it, and I was like, man. So the deck has a lot going for it, right? Because you get to play discard in it, which Banto draws you does not get to play. Uh, and you get to play Lightning Bolt, and I hear that that card's pretty good. Um, and you get Colagon's Command, which is also a pretty great card in Modern. And I played the deck, and it certainly was powerful, but I just found myself missing Eldrazi Displacer so much. I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start messing with this. So uh, I started working on this a year ago. Um, not a year ago, I guess, maybe like like six to nine months ago. And I recently picked it up again uh, in the new metagame and tested it out some more. And I've had a lot of success with it. Um, 5-0 to League the other day. I've had a lot of several 4-1 finishes in, in competitive modern leagues with it. Um, but it looks a lot like other Eldrazi decks, right? You have Displacers and Wasteland Stranglers and Thought Knots and Smashers. Um, and that's always going to be good. Um, but... What you get in this deck, like Bantel, you don't get, you lose Drowner, which is a big deal, but you get Wasteland Strangler in black. But more importantly, you have fewer bad matchups than something like Bantel Drazi or even Eldrazi Tron, in my opinion, um, because you have so much flexibility. You know, you get to play uh, four to five discard spells in the main deck. Um, you get to play more in the sideboard, right? So that by itself helps your combo matchup in a way that like something like Bantel Drazi just kind of gets rolled in game one. Um, you get lightning bolts, you get fatal pushes, you get path to exiles, um, you get Colagon's command, which is great for grinding. So you have lots of, a lot more answers than, um, like the Bant Eldrazi deck does, or the, um, the Eldrazi Tron deck does. Um, and you also have lightning bolt to Colagon's command, which can go to the face to help finish people off. Um, at the same time, you retain some of the better parts of Bant Eldrazi. Um, you, you can displace their thought, not lock somebody. You can, um... You can just power out fast thought not seers. This deck runs Mind Stone and Talisman at the two drop spot to enable more turn three thought knots in the same way that Noble Hierarch does. Um, you also get a main deck for Relic Progenitus because you need it to turn on your Wasteland Strangler. Um, but also, it turns out it's just a great card right now in Modern. And being able to main deck them uh, and cash it in when you need it, but just gain a lot of percentages in game one just by virtue of having it people, is really people, powerful. People are using their graveyard for value in this yeah. format? Is that yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> and, and it's so good because in the decks, uh, against the deck where it's bad, right? Say, it's just like, let's say Merfolk, right? Just sort of your generic uh, creature deck. Um, it may not do much, but if you are able to just exile whatever their fetch land and then Wasteland Strangler, their creature, you just basically beat those decks on the spot with Wasteland Strangler. The card's just so good. Also, by the way, we're playing, you know, bolts and pass and fatal pushes. So those decks are not a problem. You know, I will play against those decks all day long. Um, something like blue white control or, or Jeskai control can be more of a problem for our deck um, than, than sort of the creature matchups. But overall, 
you get access to the best sideboard cards in the format. You get Rest in Peace. You get Collective Brutality. Uh, you get Anger of the Gods. Um, you just get all of the the good. You get you know your choice of of um, artifact hate as well. Um, you you get access to just to play the best cards and in a really good shell where basically you play these control elements with these discards and removal spells um, and stranglers and then your end game is Eldrazi rather than just having the Eldrazi end game um, like. Uh, Tron or Eldrazi Tron or just trying to ramp into crazy Eldrazi like Bant Eldrazi, you get to play out like a control deck that has Eldrazi finishers. Um, and it, in my opinion, it's not that the deck is, is necessarily, say, more powerful than Bant Eldrazi or Eldrazi Tron, but it gives you more game against more decks and you have fewer lopsided matchups where you just, you know, either are behind uh, are behind. And I feel like you, you gain a lot by having that in modern a format where you can play nine different decks on day one of a of a Grand Prix. So, so what would you say the like the top five key cards of the deck would be? Um, well, sort your engines uh, are like the, your most powerful cards when you play them are Displacer, Strangler, Thought Not, um, right? And that's sort of a given. After that, I would say it's you know some number. The the current list I have is. Um, two path, two pushes, because I'm just not sure what the split should be, and then four bolts, right? So you're, and then the the four to five discard spells. Um, so those, you know, those uh, ten to twelve one mana spells, sort of form the rest of it, because that's your game against a lot of decks right there. So there's a lot going on with this deck. Uh, it, it has, um, you know, a good late game, a good early game. Um, it has, as you'd expect from a four color deck, the mana base takes a little bit of work. Um, but I spent a lot of time tweaking it, and I'm pretty happy with it, uh, even down to the two mana rocks we play. Uh, another piece of the deck that gets lost a little bit, um, but it's actually very powerful, is Hangerback Walker, because it fills in the two-drop spot, um, but also allows you to grind out. And like I said, the deck plays out a lot like a control deck. So if on turn one, you Inquisition them, turn two, you play Hangerback, turn three, you kill whatever their play was, um, or play Relic, or, or, or whatever, or you just sort of take control of it while building up this hanger back, and then you start slamming, you know, if they burn something to deal with it, then they get Thought Knotted, then they get Reality Smashered. Oh, that's um, sweet. Yeah, and it's just got a lot of, of uh, the, the whole of the package works very, very well together, and I've been happy with it across the entire spectrum of matches, and that's what I want out of a deck in Modern, um, is that I feel comfortable with it um, against anything I might sit down across. And then, what would you say the, the sweetest play in the deck is? Sweetest play, uh, probably things involving Colagon's Command, but Wasteland Strangler's up there, too. I mean, so many games just end because you just play, like, a turn two Wasteland. Like, turn one, you play a Relic, Exile their Fetchland, and they play, like, a Mana Dork. Uh, turn two, you just, like, play a Temple and play a Wasteland Strangler and kill their guy. Next turn, you play a Displacer and blink your Wasteland Strangler and kill a guy. And the game just ends. Yep, that it's seems, so that good. Seems really good. <laughs> yeah, and like in in late game grindy situations, um, there's also a lot of sweet plays where you like thought on them, and they have two removal spells, right? And they kill your thought on, and you get one of the removal spells, and you're like sort of playing that game, but more or less they they handle the thought not, and then you're just like, okay, Colagon's command make you discard a card, buy back my thought not at the end of your turn. <laughs> you play my thought not, get your last card. Oh man, Colagon's that's command sweet. gives the deck a lot of reach. Right, well, it gives a lot of decks a lot of reach. The card's really good. <laughs> someone was was commenting on like Stoneforge Mystic maybe because someone else I think brought up unbanning a bunch of fair cards and they were like uh, Stoneforge Mystic is too good and then the the comment after that was like Colgan is laughing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. 
obviously. Um, so I still think I do think Stoneforge Mystic is too good, but it is yes. true that there are more answers than there used to be. Right. I think I don't know if we're quite there yet, but I think every year that goes by, there's better and better ways to kind of handle the card. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, so the last thing we want to do with the deck tech uh, is, and if people want a deck list, it will be posted alongside in the episode on collected.company. But we're going to do a gauntlet. We're going to walk this deck through uh, what I have put in as the top six plus a deck that I think Corbin is pretty familiar with. Um, <laughs> decks to see how he thinks the deck would do against them. So let's start with the first one and probably the most dangerous, Grixis Death Shadow. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely the hardest matchup just because it's the best deck. Um, it's not that it's particularly good or bad against you. Honestly, you're kind of playing a similar game uh, with a different end game. Uh, you both want to remove their early plays and tear apart their hand. Uh, the difference is their late game is to play a big Death Shadow or, or whatever, and maybe sometimes turbo it out. And ours is to drown them with Eldrazi. Uh, and I feel fine about it, right? It's pretty heavily dependent on, on key cards, like whether or not you get to Thought Not Them, and whether or not you get to take their Death Shadow before it gets big, or whether they just run away with the game. They certainly have more potential um, to just... They have more broken draws than you do, right? Because they, they can have the turn three, nine, nine Death Shadow that just kills you. Um, so, you know, that is what it is. At the same time, we run a lot of cards that deal with it. So I would say this is the toughest matchup, but it plays out just two grindy decks, um, you know, running into each other. And whoever can can basically keep the threats off the table best um, is going to pull out ahead. All right, next, Burn. Uh, yeah, so this is actually an interesting matchup. Uh, because the mana base of this deck, being four colors, can sometimes deal itself a lot of damage. Uh, that said, I'm 5-0, and oh, I think, against Burn in the past two weeks on Magic Online. Um, and Burn has a lot of trouble with just getting their first play negated, whether that's from a discard spell or a removal spell, um, and then getting Wasteland Stranglered on their, their creature, and then getting Thought Knotted, and they're just out of stuff. And then, you know, in our sideboard, we're playing white, so you get Blessed Alliance and Collective Brutality. And Collective Brutality is obviously the biggest blowout uh, because we all know how good that card is. Kill your Goblin Guide, take a Burn Spell out of your hand, drain you for two. Um, so, yeah, I, I've not had any trouble with Burn, although Burn is, of course, a good deck that can always kill you. I feel pretty comfortable with that matchup. All right, next, Counter Company. Yeah, no, this is uh, kind of the dream. <laughs> I, I love this matchup, right? I, I love this matchup. You you get to mess with their hand. You have a million removal spells for them. Um, you get to mess with their Eternal Witnesses because your main, de main deck in Relics. You get it. Wasteland Strangler is great against them. Displacer is great against them. Um, like, your deck is just so good against them. Uh, all their Your deck is made to kill little creatures, and they're a deck of nothing but little creatures. So they basically have to have a crazy draw uh, where they just are able to combo you off very fast or have multiple collected companies that you're not able to strip out of their hand or something. Um, and then after sideboarding, you get Anger of the Gods. Uh, and rest in peace if they're playing the Obzon version with with, collect, uh, with Kitchen Pink still. Um, but also Collective Brutality is great against them as well, because you get to kill a creature and take their collected company. Um, so I, I will play that matchup uh, all day long with Mardu Eldrazi. It, it's crazy to me that Collective Brutality was the fourth most played card in at GP Copenhagen. Yeah, it's so good. It's one of those people complained a long time about Modern being... Um, a bunch of broken decks just trying to do their broken thing against each other. Um, and it was like, well, how do you design cards to fix that? And I don't know if it was intentional on their part, but they actually did it, right? Collective Brutality and Kolagon's Command are probably two of the best examples. Blessed Alliance is another one as well. That 
and it's just because they're modal, they're good in so many situations that they stop you from just randomly losing to stuff. Like Blessed of Alliance stops you from randomly losing to Boggles, which is a stupid deck that sometimes pops up in Modern, and it's a real thing, and it feels really bad to have your nice tricked-out deck and then lose the Boggles because you can't interact. Um, but cards like Blessed Alliance and Collective Brutality and Colagon's Command that have so many modes, but at the same time aren't aggressive cards, they're control cards, uh, really has shifted modern away from being, you know, quite so much broken decks relying on being broken and trying to dodge specific cyborg cards um, to sort of, you know, interactive magic in, in a sense. And I, I love that the cycle of modal cards they come out with in the past year and a half and what it's done for modern. Yeah, it's kind of evolved the format to where, you know, Legacy Blue is the best color and every deck is playing that. And for a while, I would say that green was kind of the most comparable in colors. But I think black has kind of cemented with Fatal Push, with Colgan's yep. Command, with Collective Brutality, with obviously Thoughtseize and, and, and Inquisition of Kozilek and Liliana. You have kind of this control suite of fair cards that does what Force of Will does. Those cards all exactly. do what Force of Will does in, in Legacy. And so it allows Modern to have a little bit more of a fair format than it ever kind of have, has, has, has had access to. Um, yeah, right. Thoughtseize yeah. has secretly been the MVP uh, of the format since its creation, right? It's the only way to police anything. And there's a reason that Jund has always been a tier one deck. I mean, even right. after having two key cards banned out from under it, um, it just is always going to be something that's going to do something because having Thoughtseize in your deck as a three to eight of is really important and powerful and fair. Um, yeah. Uh, next on the list, Dredge. Uh, I haven't played this matchup a ton, um, I, I honestly wait, don't actually, know exactly gonna, how... Wait, pause really quick. Uh, the, sure. It's recording, but Ben has five minutes and said he wants to call in um, to Skype. Sure. So we're going to add him, if I can figure out how to do that. All right, so I just got Ben on the line. Say hi, Ben. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm so excited I caught you between things. This is exciting to be here. You're, you're interrupting our very thorough uh, gauntlet of Mardu Eldrazi. <laughs> Mardu Adding Eldrazi. to the gauntlet. Adding, adding, to, the adding, adding yeah. to the gauntlet. I like the idea of Mardu Eldrazi. That's not, that's not a deck I'm super familiar with. It's sweet. It sounds it's great. sick. Have you ever wanted to play all the best Eldrazi cards? Because you get to. <laughs> right, no, it sounds like it. And because you're playing red, do you also get to play that sweet uh, one-drop spell in Modern? What the heck's that thing called? Yeah, yeah, I think it... Well, something about a lightning bolt. Uh, it's pretty yeah. good, as it turns out. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet. Do you... Um, <laughs> Do you get to play Colagon's Command? I don't even know why you would. It, yeah, it turns out you do play Colagon's Command because it's just a broken magic card. <laughs> That's so we, we were talking about rebuying Thought Not Seers with it and making them discard a card. That sounds like 100% my style. I got into a whole thorough conversation with Alex last week about ranking the Ten Commands. Um, <laughs> yeah. And believe, believe it or not, it, I like actually fought for Colagon's Command over Cryptic, which I, Alex was like, you are a fool. <laughs> What's the worst one? Uh, the I one? said I was... The red one, actually. We agreed the red one's the worst. Yeah, probably, yeah. But I was wrong on Primal Command, because I didn't actually realize... And this was just a general magic card ranking, not even like a not even like a modern ranking. But what I didn't realize is that you can target any player's graveyard for the reshuffle, which makes the green one infinitely better than I thought. Well, that's true. Also, it like it's actually seen more competitive play than ones you might think are better, right? Than like Austere Command or whatever. Because the green one makes the infinite loop with the witnesses. Right. This is true. This is true. This is true. Yeah. yeah they're, they're all, they're, my, my, my like secret one that I have like an affection for is Profane Command, and I just I think I'm the only person that like truly loves that card. It was it was it was played in standard, right? It was cool for back then. 
it's a big standard it card, but it's just never expanded beyond it, except for in modern decks that I build. I added yeah. in three <laughs> of my Modern Masters 2 draft sets, and it won me every game I cast it. <laughs> I know, but the proof of how worthless that card is to you is the fact that the foil you opened is now in my possession, and I can't remember what I gave you for it. I probably just <laughs> gave it to you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly proof, case in point. All right, I'm derailing you guys. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. What what in 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 uh, a tweet or less? What did you think of the big news today? Huge on on ten minutes of magic. My little station on Anchor.fm, the app you can download, which you can find we, me on every day. I did a whole bit on it. I recapped the whole thing. We already um, plugged your your Anchor station. Did you really plug it without me here? Yeah, that's really nice of you. Um, yeah, I I think it's really interesting. I think that there's um, I actually thought of all of the things that they said in the announcement is i mean the big block structure makes a lot of sense because if you think about like a lot of when you ask people what their favorite draft formats are it tends to be like triple innistrad it tends to be triple rise of Eldrazi. it's large sets triple set that that is very often what you hear from people um but on top of that the masterpiece announcement the fact that they're scaling back masterpieces and then giving us uh some new version of a core set i like both of those announcements because i you and i talked a lot about this on the show two weeks ago about the whole printing of masterpieces and how it's interesting, but it's also like already the invocations felt a little bit disjointed and like they didn't make as much sense as you wanted them to. And the idea of just keeping going with that, I'm glad they're going to scale it back because they should feel special. The expeditions were like a real grand slam for a reason because lands are ubiquitous. All right. Now I think what we came to is that they should have just been doing 10% and like five reprints and five new cards. But yeah, that's, I think we're kind of all on the same page a little bit. And then last but not least, how hyped are you for GP Vegas? Oh, I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped. I'm like stressed right now because <laughs> all of my like media work got pushed into a day today. Cause I'm about to be gone for a week. And like, I just covered this premiere and I've got to go and like whatever meet some people right now. My flight's in the morning. I have to like go home and do like entire packing for like work stuff. And then three days in Vegas in like the course of a couple hours overnight. Like, and I'm just, just <laughs> as well as thinking about things I've packed like suits. I'm also like, how many magic card decks do I need to bring? I'm right like, there with you, like, man. Uh, right. I'm it, like, do I, it's do... four. It's four. <laughs> One for every four. I think like. I, I think those of you that have been listening to us for years will be excited to know that I have committed. I'm building a commander deck, and I will have it wow. in Vegas. And I will be playing commander games in Vegas, and it will be with Brea, and it's a whole deck, and it's going to be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so Yay. there you go, guys. All right, so on that note, Ben, say bye to everybody. Let us finish Scotland, because I think you have to go. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Go see the big sick when it's out. It's, job at, it's the movie Judd Apatow's producing, Michael Showalter. It's really good. Uh, I really like the premiere. I've, and I've had the dude. I've had two. What? I've had two different people, and on top of that, an ex-girlfriend, all randomly message me over the last three weeks to tell me I look like the main character of that movie. Whitney doesn't. New Malcolm Johnny, the guy, or what, the guy from Silicon Valley. Yeah, apparently I look like him. I don't. I don't. You look. You look Pakistani. I've never gotten that. I. I. Thank you. I, or not thank you. I don't know. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I look like him. <laughs> Well, it's great, and you'll like it. If you, you'll like all of the things. It's, it feels like watching an Apatow movie, like a classic Apatow knocked up or something like that. Anyway, guys, thanks uh, for letting me get on the call and ruin the fun you were having. Corbin, thanks for doing the show, and <laughs> yeah, I'll be man. back with a full episode next week. And I'll see you in Vegas. I can't wait for Vegas. I can't wait to meet everybody listening to this in Vegas. Uh, I am so hyped for this convention. So, Bye, Ben. Yeah, man, absolutely. See you later. Bye, guys.
All right. <laughs> that was fun. That was awesome. Yeah. So you have more of those call-ins. That was, that was a nice – that was great. I like – it's something I wish we did more on this podcast, and maybe that's a question for everyone. Uh, would you guys like us if we just did random call-ins in each episode, uh, if possible? And, uh, yeah, because I think those are fun. <laughs> like a radio. We're like a radio show. He's like a, <laughs> a regular person, and that by he's the host. But, like, you're like a regular person that you could just call in and be like, I think this is about this thing, and then just drop out. And we get, like, crazy characters – this is what happens on radio. <laughs> um, all right, now moving on. Dredge. <laughs> Dredge. I actually haven't played Dredge a ton. Um, I'm not sure. It feels like it wouldn't be the worst because outside. it feels like Conflagrate's probably the card that makes or breaks it because once you get a good enough board position, they can't really, like, unless they just have a great draw, they're not going to overrun you with blood gas or whatever because you can just sort of handle them that said we do run a lot of removal and discard that they're more or less immune to um so i imagine game one is certainly uphill uh game two uh you get a couple recipes a couple anger of the gods um you know maybe slaughter games if you want to go that route and you, you have some shots but uh, overall i i'd have to test it more to be sure but I imagine it's, it's it's certainly in their favor, just given how many of our cards are bad against them in game one. That said, we are main decking for Relic of Progenitus, and so it's probably very swingy in that you can just steal games with that. Yeah, I feel like your deck, the, the four main board Relics seem like, you know, anytime you're running main deck hate against a deck that's entire plan at a, at a tournament is to guarantee win game one and then lose the sideboard hate, but hopefully they'll eke one out in game three if they don't draw it. Um is definitely yeah, in your favor. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird though because like we could also just draw the four lightning bolts instead. Sure. And uh, I mean maybe four bolts will be fine, right? But maybe we draw the fatal pushes and some bolts and, and like wasteland stranglers or or whatever instead, and then they just sort of like run you over because you just didn't draw the right card. So it's probably actually very variable. Sure. Um, but like I said, the best part of playing Mardu is you get access to all the best sideboard cards in the format. Right. So you do have recipes in your sideboard as well as Anger of the Gods. Yeah, like you, you start – yeah, yes, main deck, you just start with like four cards that are good and then everything else isn't. But then you go up to a total of at least, what, nine almost? Uh, I would say at least at least like eight cards that are just insane against them. Right. Uh, and then like, you know, others that are good. Like because you still have like – your main deck still has like the bot knots and displacers and smashers. You can still just kill them. Yeah. Um, and you can buy time with like, you can also just like displacer blink, set up a blink on strangler and just kill their amalgams forever. You know? So like I said, it feels like conf conflagrates probably the important card for them. Um, if they can't overrun you very quickly to actually stop you from getting a board that, that, that answers them. Sure. Um, but, but like I said, you know, I, I think the game one's probably still a little in their favor, but I would not be scared to sit down from dredge with this deck knowing that I actually have the ability on, like, a lot of decks that maybe look like Mardu Eldrazi, I actually have the ability to win game one rather than just looking at my sideboard. Right. You're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to let you kill me while I look at my sideboard plan right now. <laughs> yeah, um, and obviously the sideboard is what you make it. Right now I have two Press and Peace in there and two Anger of the Gods. But, like, you know, I have, like, Crumble to Dust and, and E and a, an Inbringer and a Slaughter Games and stuff that can just be cut to go up to more rest in peace and more angers and then like, you obviously love that matchup the more of those cards you have right and, and and there's just random cards you like they're random versatile sideboard cards that you're randomly throwing like a, a mardu or not mardu um uh a rakdos charm or something like that where right it's like, exactly yeah, that's oh true. This, this card just oh yeah it excels a graveyard but it, i'm playing it for these other two effects and so there's definitely there's definitely a lot you can get kind of it 
red and white are probably the best at eating graveyards after artifacts, and, and you have both of those things. And artifacts. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, next, a little bit of the mirror match, Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, Eldrazi Tron, um, it's, <laughs> it, it's sort of it plays out similar to Death Shadow. It's about who can actually resolve the biggest threat. Um, and they have the ability, they typically have the ability to go over the top, uh, because, you know, they, they actually play some of the, if they draw their Tron half of the deck, you can be in trouble. Um, and you have some, you definitely have cards that are, are pretty bad against them, uh, in game one. Um, that said, you can still just like get, you, you can still just get them, right? You can still just like Inquisition, Thoughtseize, um, into Displacer, into Thought Knots here, and, and then play Smasher and kill them, you know? Right. What's well, um, It's kind of why, like, decks like Jonder, or more important like Merfolk where it's like even in bad matchups you can sometimes just draw the hand of turn one Merfolk into turn Merfolk turn two Lord into turn three Merrigery into turn four a bunch of things that let me play my whole hand draw six cards right. play my hold a hand again and then I swing at you for 12 <laughs> and you're done. right and, and this matchup it's like if they draw you know if they have two Karns and Tron you're probably going to lose, mm -hmm. right? Because you you have Inquisitions more than Thought Seizes in the first game, and you have these Lightning Bolts that are meh, and you have these Fatal Pushes that are, like, pretty bad. Um, but, so, you know, in, in that sense, they, they probably have, um, they, you know, they're probably advantaged, but it's slight. I think it's slight because you also are just playing powerful cards of your own. Right. Um, so I'm more much more scared of the Tron half of their deck than the Eldrazi half. And I don't particularly care about their Walking Ballistas at all. You don't you don't you don't like going on long walks with ballistas <laughs> in the moonlight. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mind I don't mind fatal pushing pathing or wasteland strangling in their ballista <laughs> turn three and beating them down, that's for sure. That's fair. I'll take that. <laughs> um, I've been messing around with walking ballista and uh, Teleria West recently and it's very enjoyable. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one actually. Yeah. I like I'll show you the list in, in Vegas and other people get to see it when they go to Vegas. All right, next and uh, last of the the main gauntlet is Affinity. Uh, this is pretty easy. It's as easy as anyone is against Affinity. Um, you get to play Colgon's Command in your main deck, which is great. Displacer is really good at messing up their um, their cranial plating draws um, and even their seal over seal draws, right? If you have enough mana. Um, again, strength, like, again, we're playing you know, four discard spells, four lightning bolts, and then four path slash push. So you can just kill all of their creatures and you have Colgon's Command and Wasteland Strangler to clean up. So it's like you path their their seal overseer, then you strangler their next play, and then they just like probably don't have enough gas to kill you unless they have a nice plating draw. Um, so I'm pretty fine with that matchup. You also and like I said, this is one of those weird matchups where hangerback walker can come in handy, even if it involves you killing your own hangerback walker to get tokens to block signal pests or whatnot. Sure. Um, so you know, affinity's affinity. It can obviously kill you at any point in game one, um, but then after sideboarding, uh, you get. Um, Shatterstorm. At, at the moment, I have a Shatterstorm in there. Uh, but you get that. You get Anger of the Gods. Um, you get EE, uh, Engineered Explosives. And your deck's already, like, adding into the cards that are already good against uh, Affinity. Um, I'm as comfortable with that matchup as anyone really can be against Affinity. Well, I mean, and back when both Affinity and Infect were, like, Tier 1 and decks you needed to worry about, the, there's a reason that Lingering Souls was so good, and, and Hangerback yes. Walker does kind of the exact same things in this matchup, where it's like, yeah, if you can block a, a X1 flyer, you're going to be much better off than, than they normally <laughs> would be, because right. they just can't get past that, and any attack that they make into you is really unprofitable for them. 
And, yeah, and while we're on the subject, a lot of people brought this up. I have zero Lingering Souls in the deck right now um, because the three-drop spot is full, right? There's not very many two-drops. Um, it's just a couple uh, rocks, a, a Dreadbore, and then the Hangerbacks, right? But the three has the full set of, of Displacers, three Stranglers, a couple Colgons commands. Um, so I didn't, like, I, you know, I didn't see putting in four Lingering Souls there. It is entirely possible and perhaps likely that cutting some of the extra stuff in the sideboard, like I could just look at my sideboard right now and cut, um, you know, cut Crumble to Dust, the fourth Reality Smasher, the Endbringer, um, and, and like the Shatterstorm or the Engineered Explosives, play four Lingering Souls, and you have them to board in then against control decks, um, you, like that you're boarding Wasteland Strangler out against. So basically against a control deck, I could board out three Wasteland Stranglers um, in a Fatal Push or whatever, right. and, and board in four Lingering Souls straight across. And you also could then have Lingering Souls against something like um, Affinity if you wanted it, or any of those attrition matchups. So there's a lot to be said with it, and I would have to do more testing to really nail it down. But I don't have Lingering Souls in the list I've been playing with, but it is entirely possible, perhaps even likely, um, that it is correct to have it in the 75. Right. It, it, right now, I've had a lot of good success with this card, just from the perspective that, like, there are not a lot of trampling threats right now, and there are a lot of things that... The, you know, you gain up if you're able to block their 9-9 with your 1-1, worst-case scenario. <laughs> right. And then you have stuff like Affinity where it's like, oh, I can't beat that card. Yeah, like, it's it's really weird. And I basically determined, and, and this was wrong, like, sort of my initial determination was, if you don't want Lingering Souls main deck, you don't want Lingering Souls. Um, but I don't know that that's true. Sure. Because I think that, like, in the dark, I'd rather have Wasteland Strangler against the current meta. But, like, Lingering Souls is just so good, I think it's probably correct to make room in the sideboard for it, which then, you know, just requires tinkering around with the numbers a little bit. Um, like, if I were trying to take this to um, to the Grand Prix this weekend, like, I would probably cut some of the... Like, there's cards I like, right? You know, I enjoy Crumble to Dusting people. It's nice on Magic Online to get them, but at the end of the day, it is probably just worse than having four Lingering Souls and just boarding into Lingering Souls. So, you know, if I was going to do a Grand Prix, I would definitely find room in 75. But right now, I haven't figured out what's correct to cut, so I haven't made sure. any of those moves. Yeah, I mean, like, and even decks like Jund, which, you know, yes, Death Shadow versions of Jund are going to be more popular than maybe just regular Jund. But even with that out of the way, like, people are just going to play their Jund deck, like, because they've had it forever, yeah. and that's what they're good at. Um, and Lingering Souls is really good against Liliana the Veil, and Liliana the Veil is generally going to be a good card against Eldrazi, because you have less... Most of your threats right. are big one-offs instead of a bunch of little things. Um, so, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And then I, I guess the last deck to kind of talk about is Merfolk, mostly just because <laughs> I think it's funny. It'll make you kill two of your children. Oh, yeah, I know. I love Merfolk, but, yeah, this deck crushes it. <laughs> Sad to say. <laughs> you, get a th you, get a, you get a discard their best card. You have a million removal spells, like an actual million removal spells. Basically, if you ever play Wasteland Strangler against a Merfolk player on turn two or turn three, they lose the game on the spot. I remember when Black White Eldrazi first came out, I had a friend who had who was building it and honestly did a lot of work on it himself before it was popular. And I played just like eight games in a row against it with Merfolk, and I won like one of them. He just played Wasteland Strangler, and I would just cry. I'm like, okay, there goes my lord. I don't have Island Walk. You get a trade with another <laughs> one of my guys. You've already made me discard two cards. Like, okay, I lose. Yep, uh, yeah, this, this just crushes Merfolk. Sorry, it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's, and then you board into Anger of the Gods, too. It's just uh, all the feel-bads. Um, I feel like if you're good against Affinity, Merfolk doesn't get harder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's such true. 
Um, unless, unless the reason you're good against Affinity is all ancient grudges, then yeah, it's going to carry over to Merfolk. Yeah, I guess like the reason Jund is good against Affinity is not the reason it's good against Merfolk. You have you know four, multiple main deck call against command, plus you have ancient grudge in the sideboard versus Merfolk. Right. That's not as good, but I still think. Yeah. <laughs> and Jund Merfolk is already like super grindy. Yeah, like, it's already an, it's already a weird matchup that I don't actually like playing for Merfolk side, even though the win rate is decent. Um, sure. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Mardu Eldrazi sadly does crush Merfolk. All of its dreams. Um, all right, so that's that's it. Uh, that's all the gauntlet. Any any last words on the deck? Uh, yeah, I think this is absolutely a deck that has legs in modern. Um, I do a lot of decks um, on Mighty Modern that, and I, and I try to be very clear about not hyping decks up to be something they aren't because I don't like that because you have to be cognizant of the fact that people do base their buying decisions on on the things that you say or or do when you have an audience you have a responsibility um and i think that this is a real deck in modern um that has had success and while it certainly has tweaking to go um you know in the sideboard or the mana base or any of these things i, I think that this is a deck that you could take to a grand prix and have a just i'd feel just as good playing this at a grand prix as i would bantel Drazi at a grand prix right now um so that's that's, that's that's what I can say about it. I think this is a um, a real deck that is good, and it, it doesn't have any... It has some matchups it crushes. It doesn't have as many free wins as some of the other Eldrazi decks, but it doesn't have as many bad matchups either, and that's, you know, that's what I like in modern decks. Fair, fair. Um, all right, so that's it for the episode, guys. Uh, first off, thank you again, Corbin, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun. I... I love modern, so any chance to hang out and talk about it is great. I know, it's the best. <laughs> um, a, super, everyone else, you can find both of us at GP Vegas this weekend if you're going, but where can people find you if they're not going to GP Vegas or if they want to find you after and or before that? Yeah, absolutely. Hit me up uh, on Twitter at chossler 88 You can Google Mining Modern on YouTube. Uh, also, I'm on TCG Player every Monday, and my podcast, Brainstorm Brewery, comes out on brainstormbrewery.com and on iTunes and all of that uh, good stuff every Friday. Um, so that's everywhere I am at these days. Which, speaking of which, and getting into a little bit of a Patreon thing, if you donate to Patreon, you can get a Lifelinker code, but or the Lifelinker app, which is a life counter thing, but you can also get a Brainstorm Brewery and a Monsters of Modern background on that app. We're both part of the Lifelink family of podcasts and other content creators yeah. created by Jimmy and Josh, the guys behind the command zone. Uh, both of us are at collected.company. Uh, you can follow us, the podcast, at the MMCast. I am personally at Cast Wiley, our uh, call-in for the day at Ben Bateman Media uh, and on other things like Facebook, Instagram. Make sure to check out our Facebook. Uh, we're trying to do more content there. In fact, uh, Ben has been posting his 10 Minutes of Magic every day there, so we do every day. There's new content on that page, and you get to talk to us in person. I'll argue pretty much on any social media, but on Facebook or Twitter about anything if you want to challenge us to some 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 discussion, debate, etc. Uh, and thanks, for guys. Thanks for listening to the po podcast. Once again, thank you, Corbin, for coming on, and we'll talk thank to you guys Thank you for your week. attention. See you later. Alligator.